This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Wednesday afternoon, March 29th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. So-called dumb phones are on the rise in the U.S. We'll track that trend in our next segment. But right now, the stunningly fast advancement of artificial intelligence is raising questions about creativity, control, and ethics. We're joined by Paul Hockman, president of Humongous Media and former tech editor for the Today Show, based in Cambridge. Massachusetts. Paul, thank you for joining us today. A lot of segments on this program and elsewhere about artificial intelligence programs, chat, GPT, and the like. But I think we saw a new wrinkle in this uh, technology over the weekend with the uh, picture of Pope Francis walking around in uh, the most stylish uh, uh, jacket you can find, uh, looking like a guy who was uh, heading to an award show, an MTV award show, as a matter of fact. And uh, now the, the the popularity of that image going around on social media has led some uh, big names in tech to say, uh, maybe we should stop and think about what we're doing here. <laughs> well, um, it depends on your, I guess, on on how you were brought up. I think that's awesome. <laughs> but in other words, maybe we shouldn't stop. But look, ChatGPT and AI in general, specifically OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, um, the thing that's changing is is perception. In other words, speaking broadly, everybody everybody who has, has heard anything about this knows that their kid could go on ChatGPT, fill in a request basically at the bottom of the of the um, at the bottom of the box and say, "Hey, listen, I want an essay about, you know, Prospero, the character Prospero and Shakespeare's The Tempest. I want it to be seven paragraphs long and I want it to be written in the voice of a of a seventh grader." Cool and scary and for teachers a nightmare and all that other stuff. However, the biggest change really in this whole development in, in AI in particular is what you just pointed to. And that is that what is now possible didn't seem possible in November of 22 when this thing rolled out. And it's changing people's view of whether or not their job is going to live. Is their perception going to have to change of, of what they're watching and looking at? Is it fake? And now it is a, there's a legitimate shot that the thing you're reading or the thing you're looking at is not real, or you have to at least ask. And again, AI is driving all of this. So the change is dramatic. And it's making people change their perception of what they're seeing, hearing, and, lis- and listening to and doing dramatically in, in, at a speed that has not been seen before. So that's the biggest change. Well, I mean, there, there is a, a little bit of a prologue, and I think and that is the rapid adoption 
of social media starting around 2008 or 2009 as Facebook expanded beyond college campuses. Yes, it was a very good way to keep in touch with all sorts of acquaintances from your personal and professional life, but there were a lot of downsides, and the downsides have been have been listed fairly extensively, and we know what they are. But the upside is a rather substantial one as well, and that is it gave a lot of people a voice that they did not have before, and it allowed a lot of perspectives, for good or for ill, to come to the forefront. And I feel like that's the mix we're going to have with AI. Uh, There's going to be a lot of good that comes with it, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of bad that we don't know about, and because we don't know about it, we're going to keep chasing it. Right. Just like, you know, all politics is is local, is is the, the, the old saying. Well, all social interaction, especially with social media, is personal. In other words, it's as local as it gets. How you feel about that social media, to your point, what's bad? What's bad is that, you know, people can get trolled online and have their lives really screwed up by people who are trolling them using social media to your also to your point. Um, and I'm now showing my age, you know, when that when that uh, iPhone rolled out in 2008, 2009, um, guess what? That changed everything because that social media was delivered right to your hand, to your pocket. And so what, what happened there was, you know, look, I now am in touch with a lot of my high school buddies because of that social media. So to your point, there is good and bad with this AI. That, and it, by the way, it is a tsunami. It is not a little wave. It is affecting every single business, including mine. Mine's in communications. Now, do I need my writers to write scripts for the videos I create? Well, maybe, but maybe their job has just shifted like literally overnight to not just writing a script, but rather telling ChatGPT to write a script and then having that writer edit the script. So that writer now has more time to think about the implications of what they're writing because they're not just hammering away at the text. So that alone, lawyers at a low level, legal associates who have been tasked with going down into the basement where the files are and learning as much as they could about a case, you know, some case history, now can do ChatGPT and start analyzing what came in. So the the point is not, to your point, it is not bad, it is not good, but it is wildly different, and it is going to affect everybody right now. Paul Hockman, thank you for joining us. Because money matters, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Sales are on the rise for phones similar to those first available in the early 2000s. Let's talk about this retro trend with Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder, editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thanks for joining us today. And uh, who is buying or who's going out and buying phones that were last popular in uh, 2000? 2000 and 2001 there are two well actually there are three specific groups the first gen zers 20 year olds who are realizing that hey we want to be more intentional with the amount of hours that we're spending on our phones Um, that's one group a lot of the people within that group are calling them weekender phones so they use their smartphones during the week but transfer over to a phone that makes calls, texts, maybe does voice memos on the weekends. Uh, the 60 and over crowd are switching over as well. And then parents trying to find a smarter choice for their kids who they need to keep in touch with but don't want to have any access to social media. And is this a little bit of self-help on the part of Gen Z? They're, they want to limit their own screen time. They want, don't want to be sucked in by the algorithm, so then go out and get that uh, Nokia flip phone or that Nokia brick. <laughs> Absolutely. They want to be, I keep hearing, more intentional. Uh, they They want to 
spend less time staring at their phones and more time interacting with the world. And it is a, a kind of a, a bounce back from all the time, mainly kind of sucked in and tuned out with social media. Now, is this uh, is this a, a, like how many people are actually doing this? Is this kind of a blip in sales or is there a mass movement uh, away from smartphones over the course of a week, as you said, so people can limit their screen time when they're not at work or not at school? I saw these starting to tick up the the um, reemergence of dumb phones, so-called dumb phones, making a comeback. I first saw this about five years ago with Nokia brick phones that were really colorful and bright. There's a, an edge of nostalgia to them. We've seen a 48% increase between 2021 20, and now in these phones making a comeback. They're mainly used overseas at this point. Um, 80% of feature phone sales in 2022 came from the Middle East, Africa, and India. But we're seeing a big shift and a contingency of young people in the United States reverting back to these uh, minimalist phones as well. It's also interesting to show you how uh, nostalgia changes and the and the different things that trigger memories in your head. I mean, for example, you know, there's nothing like the emotional reaction that comes to hearing an old song. But as as technology evolves, when you hear this, <laughs> do you feel twenty years younger? I feel like that person who was saying, I don't know if I'll ever own a, a, a cell phone because I just don't want work to be able to contact me anytime, <laughs> day or night, and look where I am now. Well, on top of that, I mean, I mean, I guess the next moral panic then amongst Gen Z is kids who are addicted to snake. Oh, my gosh, if only. But, you know, there are a few kind of pitfalls to these phones. One of the first is that most of them don't stream music. And what we're finding is more and more of us wish we could pick the exact features we want on our phones. I still need Google Maps. I need Waze on my phone. I'm not going to go back to the good old paper atlas. I just won't. Couldn't use them then, can't use them now. Look, what what uh, you do, Jennifer, is is, is you get yeah. you, you get the brick phone and then you get the big tower PC unit and then you get a Winamp, <laughs> uh, you put a custom skin on there and you just uh, grab some music from the, the campus computer network the way we did in the old days. Uphill, backward, both ways. <laughs> Jennifer Jolly, <laughs> Tech Life columnist for USA Today in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, a maker of athletic apparel is celebrating strong holiday sales. Your best stock option. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Athletic wear company Lululemon beats the street with its fourth quarter report. Let's get an update on the company's win and on the overall retail sector from Jan Rogers Niffen, CEO J. Rogers Niffen Worldwide, based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. What are some of the highlights from uh, Lululemon's quarterly report? Well, they had very strong sales and they had a very strong direct-to-consumer business. And they've now passed 50% of their sales going direct to consumer as opposed to being sold through the stores. So they're one of the ones that has broken the mark there. And, you know, they're selling more online than they are selling in the stores. So they're very strong. They had really good profits, better than the street expected. It was hard to find anything wrong unless you looked at the fact that the men's business for the first time and since I can remember didn't grow faster than the women's business. It's always been much smaller but it's been faster growing. 
And so that was one of the growth engines. So if there was anything that anybody worried about, it was the fact that that business may not be quite as explosive as it has been. Wealthier shoppers are still purchasing yoga pants and tops despite uh, rising prices for essential goods. So I guess as far as uh, as the Lululemon demographic is concerned, that is an essential good. Now, was Lululemon the first mover in the uh, athleisure space? Wow, first mover. I don't know if they were the first mover, but they were certainly the one that sort of set it all off. It's where women first started saying, I can wear this to get a cup of coffee and go to breakfast or go to lunch and still work out in it. And I think that maybe they were actually not just the first mover. They may have created the space because people adopted that gear when we didn't even know it was athleisure. We just thought it was athletic gear. And then other people sort of made it to be athleisure. And so, yeah, I guess you'd have to say they were first mover in that space or the first one of any size anyway. Now, Lululemon, uh, is it, I mean, everybody who wears it are, are, are passionate users of the product. They definitely like it. They seek it out by brand name. Was that a business that really benefited from people staying home during the pandemic and then stayed with it even as they were called back to the office? Well, I will say that everybody who was selling that type of product clearly benefited during the pandemic. And Lululemon was no exception. They absolutely benefited from it. But they have hung on to it better than anybody else. And part of that is because they were a big piece of people's wardrobes for doing things other than working out before the pandemic ever started. And then once it did, of course, I don't know about you, but I was in it every day if I wasn't being being on screen. And I work out in Lulu every day. And that started before the pandemic ever happened. So I do think people added to their wardrobes of Lulu during the pandemic because of the pandemic. But I think the dedicated consumers have been there with Lulu for a very long time now, and they have stayed with them. So they have got a brand that is just rock solid. Today, Lululemon got upgraded in the marketplace because they performed so well. Ross Stores got downgraded. Burlington got downgraded. Um, Bath and, Bath and Body Works got downgraded. Foot Locker got downgraded. And Urban Outfitters got downgraded. But Lululemon got upgraded. So it just tells you how strong the brand really is. Jan Rogers Niffin, CEO, J. Rogers Niffin Worldwide, based in New York. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, it's a perfect time for a spring cleaning of your finances. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. The former head of Starbucks is quizzed about the company's labor practices by lawmakers on Capitol Hill. A drug that can save victims of drug overdoses will be available over the counter. Personal Finance Wednesday spring cleaning can also be applied to your money and investments. And as you tally up your charitable donations for your 2022 taxes, you might want to consider more of a year 
year-round effort this year. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 253 points. The NASDAQ up 171. The S&P 500 is up 46. We have 39 degrees right now in Chicago under cloudy skies going up to 42. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz is on Capitol Hill to testify before a Senate committee. The appearance comes nine days after he stepped down from the post, though he remains on the company's board of directors. Starbucks is accused of conducting a union-busting campaign. This is Committee Chair Bernie Sanders. Are you aware that NLRB judges have ruled that Starbucks violated federal labor law over 100 times during the past 18 months, far more than any other corporation in America? Sir, Starbucks Coffee Company unequivocally, and let me set the tone for this very early on, has not broken the law. Nearly 300 Starbucks locations in the U.S. have voted to unionize. The nasal spray that can reverse opioid overdoses will now be more easily available. The FDA has approved the -the over-the-counter sale of Narcan, previously only available via prescription. It should be on store shelves by late summer. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are gaining ground today. We're joined by Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and Public publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond. Chuck, thanks for joining us today. Uh, what is driving the about-face today after yesterday's sell-off? Well, I think you're seeing a, a couple of things in play. One, you know, we're getting to the end of the quarter, so you're getting kind of that quarter-end window dressing, uh, which is likely to continue to fuel some of the areas that have worked in the first quarter, such as technology. So I think that's Working here, and I think there's kind of a a, a growing chasm between the, the the bulls and the bears here in terms of those looking at this market as as half empty and those that are kind of coming around to a half full scenario here. Uh, you know, you look at, for example, uh, the S and P 500 is actually up, believe it or not, since the beginning of the banking crisis. So you know, that's the type of relative strength that investors really, you know, have to acknowledge, and, and that is causing some uh, investors to become a bit more bullish on this market. And what is driving that resiliency in the S&P 500? Well, primarily large-cap stocks, mega-cap stocks. I mean, when you look at the, the largest stocks in the S&P 500 this year, you know, you look at the, the you know, the alphabets and, and uh uh, you know, those really big mega cap stocks, especially on the technology and communication services side, that's what's really been driving the market. They're, they're, they're big uh, market caps and the stocks are doing well, hence they're really lifting um, the overall indices right now. And you talk about the uh, divergence in opinion between the bulls and the bears. Where do you find yourself these days? Well, we're <laughs> sitting on the fence, I suppose, because <laughs> we we tend to listen to, as you know, Rob, the the Dow Theory, which looks at the movement of the Dow Jones Industrial and Dow Jones Transportation Averages. And the last major signal under the Dow Theory was a bear market signal. And so we are still under a bear market signal. It, It would take pretty decent moves in the industrials and the transports. In the case of the Dow Industrials, we would need about a 5 to 6% advance. And in the Dow Transports, somewhere around 11% advance above previous high points in order for the Dow theory to turn bullish. But I will say that, you know, on the downside, both of the indices are well above their important September lows. And, And so, you know, we'll see how the market tells the final tale here. 
but it wouldn't be surprising if we remained in this this broad trading range here um, for a while, and it could be for the rest of this year. So we'll, we'll kind of let the market tell us the story. And again, we need breakouts above those previous highs in order for the Dow theory to be bullish. It would appear that a lot of investors believe the banking crisis is, if not over already, well on its way to being put in the rearview mirror. Is that uh, an accurate assessment or is that uh, a case of just being too optimistic? Yeah, these things typically don't get wrapped up with a, a pretty bow in a fairly short period of time. And there are kind of um, uh, ongoing effects from them. I, I think from the standpoint of, you know, banks, uh, you know, suffering runs and, and going, you know, and going under, I think that probably that biggest risk is probably behind us. But I think what the market is, is reflecting with a lot of the stocks and especially the regional banks isn't so much survival. I think it's, you know, the earnings are going to be impacted by this. You're going to have company, you're going to have banks that are going to be uh, constricting loans, uh, and that's typically not good for profits. Their their net interest margins are probably going to suffer. So I think what you're seeing in the market now is not so much a, a fear of the survivability of regional banks. It's w what is going to happen to those earnings and, and therefore marking down the stock price because those earnings are going to be coming down. Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, bringing in spring with a freshening up of your finances. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and as you look around your home and yard and plan some spring cleaning, you may also want to think about your financial house. Let's get some help from Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner at Forefront Financial Planning, based in Downers Grove. The website is preparemyretirement.com. Shane, thank you for joining us today. And there's a lot of items on your uh, personal finance spring cleaning punch list, but it seems like the first one and the most obvious one, especially for all of us to get the uh, email reminders uh, every week, it seems, is you might want to check your credit report. Absolutely, Rob, and thanks for having me on. Uh, so one of the things that we see is, especially over the past couple years with COVID, with the stimulus payments, there's been a lot of identity theft. Uh, and you want to check your credit report on a regular basis anyways, but especially with that, we've seen a lot of situations where people have credit card accounts that are showing up on the report that they didn't even know about, unemployment benefits filed for them in other states that they didn't even know about. Uh, and it's something we really encourage people to take a look at. Uh, so a very easy way of doing that is you can go to annualcreditreport.com. Uh, not to be confused with freecreditreport.com with the guys playing the guitars, uh, but <laughs> annualcreditreport.com uh, lets you take one free report of all three bureau reports uh, once a year. And it's your actual official report, and you don't have to pay a thing for it. Uh, also, with interest rates being as high as they are now, if you need to borrow money or if you are going to be applying for a credit card, the rates are higher because interest rates are higher. So you don't need other things on your report working against you. Uh, so we strongly encourage you to do that. And uh, since this is uh, the end of March, the beginning of April, uh, a lot of people are either uh, filing their income taxes and know how much money is coming back to them or have refunds on the way. And in instead of uh, blowing all of it on something nice, like a vacation or a cool piece of electronics, uh, maybe you could use that to uh, bolster your personal finances. 
exactly. It's a great time to, to reevaluate. And we're also seeing uh, some people that are expecting that amount of money uh, that they got last year and the year before. And then when uh, they file their taxes, we're seeing it increasingly more and more this year where they're, they're not getting as much back or they're owing. Uh, so you really want to make sure you know that. You don't want to wait till the last minute like many people do. Think that you're going to get what you got last year, and then it ends up being less or you owe, and that has a dramatic effect on uh, your budget and your plans and uh, can make things quite complicated. And also, uh, if you do find yourself uh, owing uh, when you didn't before, a lot of those uh, COVID tax credits have rolled off the books, and maybe you should take a second look at your withholding. Exactly. Uh, that's one of the one of the common recommendations that we look at for a lot of our clients. Uh, but the thing is, you have to know ahead of time, and uh, you have to be able to see that coming. And so, again, uh, those, those last-minute people, uh, it, it can be quite hard for them. It might be it's definitely too late for 2022, but we can learn our lesson from that and, and, and make sure that we do that for 2023. And then lastly, uh, not only is it tax time, but it's also a time when a lot of families begin planning their summer vacations and you set budgets for that vacation. A lot of things cost a lot more than they used to. So you should probably uh, uh, take a second look at your family budget as you go into the second quarter of 23. Especially, yeah, exactly. Especially if it's been a while since you've done a vacation. Inflation has hit hard over the past few years, and in vacationing, that's no exception. Uh, so, if you'd planned on that on uh, X amount of dollars for that trip, strongly encourage you plan ahead to try to find out what those costs are again. Don't just assume it's going to be what it was last year, because uh, more often than not, it's going to be more expensive. Shane Gornick, partner and certified financial planner at Forefront Financial Planning based in Downers Grove. The website, preparemyretirement.com. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday and still to come making charity donations a year-round effort. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. As people head toward the home stretch of tax preparation, charitable donations are coming to the forefront. And while a sizable amount of giving occurs in December, it may make sense to have it be more of a year-long effort. We welcome in Michael Thatcher, CEO of CharityNavigator.org in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it, it makes sense to uh, do your charitable giving uh, around the holidays. You're feeling extra generous. The Christmas spirit may move you, and then you decide to uh, donate to the a cause that you deem worthy. But why does it make more sense uh you know, financially and for tax purposes to make your giving a year-round effort? Well, I think it's, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, one being, think of it from the charity's perspective that you're supporting, to get a large influx of money at the end of the calendar year, but they've got to pay their people all year round, and they're providing services in whatever it is that they're doing also on an on a ongoing basis. And so the charities need to know that they're going to have money on a regular basis. Many of them, they, they create reserves during the month of December, but also, you know, things come up and those reserves tend to dwindle once you get to September, October. That's one reason. The other is you can also space out your giving over, a, let's say you were to make you budget, you've got $100 you want to give, give that over over 12 months and sign up for a recurring gift via your credit card. It's a really great way of supporting an organization and doing it over time.
And then uh, when it comes to uh, the tax implications of uh, charitable giving, uh, what's the point at which uh, you can write it off above and beyond the standard deduction? So very much that depends on, in other words, you, you, you can start writing off your charitable deductions when you are itemizing. And so what some folks are doing, if your, your, your itemized deductions don't actually surpass the standard deduction, what they will do is pick a year, and then they'll actually make a significantly higher set of donations that year so that they're, we're calling that bunching. People often do this with their donor-advised funds, but they'll put more money into charity on, let's say, every three years, and then spread that out as with payments through their donor-advised funds as a way of in, in getting the charitable deduction and then also supporting charities on a regular basis. And then is there a difference between a donation and a contribution, or is it a distinction without a difference? It's a distinction without a difference. The only caveat would be you can donate. Um, well, it, it is a distinction without a, uh, without a difference. Donating time versus donating money is treated differently. And that is another way of actually increasing one's engagement with the charitable sector on an ongoing basis. Michael Thatcher, CEO, CharityNavigator.org in Saddlebrook, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.